0: Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. For more information, go to www.encounterccb.org. Uh, because I love the church so much, uh, I'm a passionate follower, and, and I, I devote a lot of time here. I'm intrigued by people who are not like me, who don't want, uh, want to be a part of a church, who, who don't uh, enjoy the, 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 the church. I'm just I'm intrigued by it, so i I've read lots of studies and books, articles, uh, all sorts of things. And do you want to know Like one of the main reasons why people don't want to be a part of a church? It's because the church wants their money. That's one of the big reasons. And today we get to talk about money in the church, so I'm super excited about that. Uh, But what I will uh, tell you today is uh, if you're sitting there thinking, You know, I do not want to listen about a a sermon about stewardship and money in the church. I totally get it. I totally get it. And today is not going to be uh, what you typically think. We are not going to do, you know, hey, you have the altar call. We're not going to do an offering call uh, I'm not going to beg for you to make or write a big check or things like that. It's not going to be about that, so stick with me. We're really going to talk about uh, true biblical stewardship and what it means to be a good steward as, a, as the way that God sees it. You know, Jesus himself taught about money uh, 25% of the time. That might, intr- that might surprise some of you. 25% of the time that he spoke, it was about money. And the Old Testament—that's before what Jesus, when Jesus was was preaching. The Old Testament, uh, there's over eight hundred pages uh, combined on money, which, which includes like, working hard, uh, spending, and saving, and investing, and the like. And so, if Jesus thought and the Bible thought that money topics were important, we do too. And so that's why we're going to address—we don't address it a lot, but we are going to address it today. And uh, I'm actually at, at first, you know, when the the, the the schedule came out, and I saw that this is going to be my week. And I had stewardship; I was going to you know, just tell Mike, "We got to switch this up. I can't do that week, or something like that, <laughs> I want a different topic." Uh, but I got to tell you, as I've been studying about this, I'm, I'm really excited to do this this morning. And also, God has really worked super hard in my heart over the past uh, few years about uh, a certain area of this topic, which I'll, I'll share more uh, a little bit late, uh, a little later. But uh, before we go through the points today I want to give you kind of the closing statement, right? I want to I want to start with a conclusion. I'll give you the the opening argument during the closing statement. Whatever you might say, and here's this, it's that stewardship expresses our total obedience to God as our Lord and Savior. So if you came here thinking that you kind of know what stewardship might be, this is going to be about giving money. This is kind of where we're going to go today. So take that in. Stewardship expresses our total obedience to God as our Lord and Savior. And to discover uh, what the Bible says about stewardship, uh, we're going to start with the very first chapter of the Bible and the very first verse of the Bible. All you good church people probably have it memorized, right? It goes like this. In the beginning, what? God created? Yeah, not as good as I thought, or you're half sleepy. Uh, I'm sure all of you at home got it down. Yeah, Genesis one one says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what that does is it tells us all of it belongs to God. He created everything, and it all belongs to Him. And the first point, if you have your sermon outline today, or the study outline today, uh, it's available at uh, on our website, encounterccb.org. Uh, if you're here in person, we have printed sheets over here. Uh, we have a couple of points there you can follow along and write them in. Uh, the first point that I want to make today is this. We believe God is the owner of, over all things, time, talent, and treasure. Time, talent, and treasure. And Genesis 1-1 really, I think, starts out right. It sets a tone saying that God created. He didn't have help from us. God created, and therefore He owns all. Psalm 24, verse 1 says it like this. I love this. He says, that the earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, If you were uncertain about who owned everything, that pretty much clears it up. God, the earth, is the Lord's. Everything that is in it, including all of us. And as the creator, God has the absolute uh, uh, rights of ownership over all things. And to miss starting here is like, you know, uh, misaligning the very first button of a button-down shirt, right? By the time you get to the end, it's all miscombobulated, right? You have to start with that, that God owns everything. Everything that is in it, every time, Talent and treasure is owned by him and given to us by him. First Corinthians 3 verse 9 says this, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So starting with this concept, we're we're able to accurately view and correctly value not only our possessions, but more importantly, human life itself. In essence, uh, stewardship defines our purpose in this world as assigned to us by God Himself. It's our divinely given opportunity to join in God with His worldwide mission, what He, he is doing, his, his redemptive movement. Stewardship is not God taking something from us, but rather it's His method of bestowing His riches upon us, His people, for His purpose. It all, if it all belongs to God, then uh, the, here's the question that we should never ask. If it all belongs to Him, we should never ask this question, well, then how much do I have to give to God? Instead, the question should be, well, how much of God's wealth should I keep for my own use? And the, there's a big difference there, right? The first says, oh, why, why should I give anything to God? The second says, why should, I, why should God allow me to keep anything? And this establishes the principle of stewardship which goes on to the next point. So what is stewardship? And, and a steward is someone who manage, manages the assets of somebody else, right? If you think about a manager, maybe if you're at work, you have a manager you report to, they manage something. They don't own the company, but the owner has given them a, a piece to manage. A steward, a, yeah, a steward manages. And here's the point. We believe that stewardship is this. It all belongs to God, and he has put some time, some talents, and some treasure into my hands to manage. So if you think about everything that you own, your checking account, your assets, your your cars, your 401k, your job, everything that, that falls within your wealth, you are managing that for God. You're not managing it for yourself. right? If you are a proper steward, God has given that to you and says, I want you to manage this piece. It all belongs to God, and some of the wealth comes to me. I need to steward it wisely right? think of your banker or or uh, someone who might run your portfolio if you're if you're a little bit more affluent, affluent. Uh, this might be a money manager uh maybe you have some sort of wealth manager that that you that gives advice on 401k stuff like They don't own your 401k or your savings, but they give you advice. They manage the money for you. That's what a steward does. And so when uh, money or resources or wealth or opportunity comes, we don't just go and blow it on whatever we want. We ask God, we say to him, where do you want me to distribute to dispense these resources? And so that means that, bless you, and that means that everybody, every decision we make, make needs to be bathed in prayer and driven by theological commitments, driven by your commitments to, to your, uh, your involvement in a church, into a church family, and into a relationship with God. And the Bible uses the words first fruits, right? We've all heard that phrase, uh, uses the words first fruits. Uh, for many of us in in current day, uh, the, the government gets first fruits just automatically because they take it from you, you have no say. Uh, but what the Bible talks about with first fruits is that when you get a wealth or a money or a paycheck, like the very first thing you spend is not for your mortgage or for the groceries, but the very first thing, your first fruits, is for God. First fruits is you give God the best. Imagine if there was somebody in your neighborhood, maybe a, a single parent who you knew struggled a little bit uh, and they had a couple of kids and um, uh, it was just really tough on them, and you go up to them and say, Hey, I know this is a hard time for you right now. Uh, but here's $200, I want you to go to the grocery store, get, get milk and formula and groceries, whatever you need, uh, you know, spend it wisely for, for your kids, right? And they say, oh, thank you very much, and they go on their way. And later that day, you, you happen to see them, uh, you know, in a, in, a, in a parking lot, and they're coming out of a liquor store uh, with a box full of alcohol, right? What would you say to this person? Right, you'd go up to them and say, I didn't give you the money for that purpose, I gave you that money for the purpose of feeding your children. I don't think that's for your children. Let's hope not. Right? It's for formula. It was for fruit. It was for, for, for meat and, and things to help feed your family. Right? I didn't give it to you for that. I gave it to you to feed the kids. And you would feel kind of cheated or robbed by that person. Would you not? Right? This is the reason why so, uh, many of us probably don't give, uh, you know, five bucks to the guy on the off ramp that says he's hungry. Even though we're compassionate people. And, we, and we, if, we, if we knew for sure that person was hungry, we would give them the five bucks of why don't you do it? You can't trust that they're going to manage the money that they give you, that you give them, right? So, so you, you tend not to do that. I, I, I'm sure people here, you're, you're good people. You would buy them a, a burger at Burger King and give it to them if they were hungry, things like that. But you don't trust that, uh, that people will use the money right. Just like this example of this homeless parent, but this this uh, single parent, right? The analogy I gave you—they didn't manage the money well. Well, we oftentimes do that with God. He gives us money to manage well, and if we don't do that well, it's like we're robbing Him. In Malachi three, God, uh, they, they use a phrase like this: "Will a man rob God by not giving God their fruits, first fruits?" It is—it's—it's it's as if you are robbing God. And here's—if you're a, a believer, a faith believer, you're really committed to to Christ and His church. Here's a goofy, silly idea, but one that would work. Uh, Take out your debit card and uh, your, your credit cards, if you do that, but hopefully you don't because we're a financial peace believing church. No credit cards here, right? All you college kids taking the course. All right. Take out your debit card, take a Sharpie, and right above your name, write Jesus to remind you that every time you are spending money, it is God's and He is allowing you to manage His portfolio. Are you doing that well with that purchase? It's a simple activity, something that, I would, uh, that, that you could do. And maybe, you know, the grocery store clerk or wherever you're spending the money might say, hey, why, do you have, uh, why, why is this written on here? And it allows you the opportunity to testify of why you're doing that. Here's another point, next point in your, uh, in your message outline. We believe that stewardship is a key indicator about your spiritual life and where your priorities lie. Stewardship is just a good indicator on where you are in this. You know, just like in your vehicle, you have an indicator that tells you how far you can drive. It's called a gas gauge. This is an indicator. Stewardship is an indicator of your spiritual life. Quick little poll here. I want you all to participate. You at home as well. because We have videos we can see back at you in your living rooms, in your pajamas, so you better be participating. Quick little poll. Who here would instantly like $10 million in their checking account as soon as service ends? Only half. The people. Those are the other people are sleeping. Alright. Most people here uh, and you at home, I, I saw you. You raised your hands too, right? We would love lots of money. How many here after church would like to go to their dentist and get a root canal? Not one hand. Interestingly enough, not one hand. You see, money, we love money. Money is great. It is a wonderful thing to have. It's not sinful to have. We'll get to that in a second. Right? We all want the money. But stewardship, is a key indicator of where you are spiritually. The New Testament warns us against a desire to be rich. Uh, this, we, we're going to be in 1 Timothy 6 right now. There's two sections that talks about two different types of uh, where you are spiritually uh, and gives two warnings. The first warning is not to desire to be rich. Check this out. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Right? It's, it's saying, don't make it your, your objective aim or goal to get rich. Don't set that out as your greatest treasure, your biggest achievement. You see, that is counter-contrary counter to what our society says. Our society says, do what you can to gain as much wealth to, to be promoted as often as you can. It says those who devire, desire to uh, be rich fall into temptation, lots of troubles, into a snare. You think about like a, a, a bear trap of the snare, right? They go to grab something and it, and it traps them in. That's what money does to us, right? The enemy puts a new car, a flat screen TV, um, you know, a, a bigger house, a vacation home, uh, things like that, right? And we, we, we spend all of our life, all of our time, talents, and resources go to attain that thing, and it's like a trap because it never gives back the way that we think it's going to give back. It's wise words from Timothy here. And then it goes in and says, for the love of money, not money itself, that, that's not evil, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Every one of us thinks if I had 10, 20% more income, I'd have a better life. Right? For those of you who, who uh, are still working, we have, a lot, we have some retired folks too, but think about that. If Social Security all of a sudden increased this week 20%, would that be a good or a bad thing? If you, all of a sudden your boss called you in and said, hey, you've been working really well, we're going to increase you, I'm going to give you a 20% bonus right now and increase your, your, your salary 20%, that'd be a great thing, would it not? We think if I could just pay off that purchase, uh, I'd be a little bit better. If we could have a little more breathing room, we could be a a little bit better. If I could just have more money, I would have a better life. folks, then The faith then is in the money, not God. And the security is in the stuff, not God. And so the worship is for the stuff, not God. It's not a sin to be rich, but it is a sin to desire to be rich because if your goal is to get rich, you'll do whatever you have to, to to become rich. You know, you'll become cheap or greedy. You'll, you'll run your businesses not in a bad way. You won't Sabbath. You'll work all the time. You'll neglect your family and your friends, and, and, and you'll walk away from the church probably because uh, you, you need to, to gain financially. You need to give your time to those areas, and it will ruin your life. That's the first warning. If you uh, continue on in First Timothy 6, starting in verse 17, he gives the second warning. As for the rich in this present age. So he's going to gone on from just everybody and now talking about the rich. As for the rich in this present age. Charge them not to be haughty. That means like bragging, right? It doesn't mean like if you see a guy or girl walking down the street and say, hey, that's a haughty. Totally different meaning. This meaning is more like bragging. Don't brag. Not to set their hopes on uncertainty of riches, but of God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do uh, good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Some people become rich in life, and uh, and that's a great thing. Either they work really hard and God blesses them, uh, maybe they get an inheritance, uh, and so they, that uh, wealth comes in. Whatever the case might be, uh, some people are rich. And it's not a sin to be rich, but there are additional obligations that come for those who are rich, the first thing the Bible says, as we heard in our first set of passages here, is don't make it your life goal to be rich. And the second thing he's saying with this passage is this He's saying, If you are rich, acknowledge that you have certain additional burdens and obligations on behalf of God with your wealth. Now, in saying this, I can, I can uh, dare bet that almost everybody sitting here right now is, is thinking, Well, that's not me, I'm not rich. None of us think we're rich. Rich is always the person who has a little bit more than you do, right? If you, if you live in an apartment, somebody who's rich is somebody who owns a house. If you own a house, somebody who is rich is that, that person down the street that owns a bigger house. Or if you own a big house, rich is the person who owns a, a house plus a couple of rental properties and maybe a house in Big Bear or things like that, right? Rich is always the next person. But let me tell you, folks, when I say the word rich here, I mean Americans. Raise your hand if you're American. Yeah, so all of us here are rich, all of you there are rich, so God is talking about all of us here rich is is, is really subjective right if you look through uh, the media or TV or movies um, especially with social media you see people who who live life abundantly and luxuriously right uh, I know uh, in social media you always post your best you don't post reality there so you get to see people in their best and then you compare yourselves hey I don't have that. I don't look like that. My life doesn't match in that way. I must not be as rich. Anybody here know, uh, uh, see when, like in my generation, watch MTV Cribs? That used to be like the cool thing. Now these college and high school kids have no idea what that is. You know, MTV Cribs, right, would, they would go inside a celebrity's home, whether it be an athlete or an actress or an actor or something like that. They would go into their home and, and video, uh, like just kind of a walk through their house. And you get to see their bedrooms and their kitchen and inside their fridge. Weird, but what you did is you looked at that and you thought, like, man, Wouldn't it be cool to be rich? Uh, Anybody who know who uh, Mookie Betts is? Mookie Betts is is the star right fielder for the world championship winning Los Angeles Dodgers. Yeah. He's uh, American League MVP. Should have won it this year. Got stolen from him because people don't love L.A. That's fine. We don't need the uh, accolades. We got the championship. Anyway, I digress. (laughs) Mookie Betts is an awesome right fielder for the Dodgers. This is the first year he uh, played for the Dodgers. He spent most of his career in Boston. Well, uh, the offseason just ended, you know, because we won the World Series. I don't know if I mentioned that. Um, This uh, offseason just ended, and so he finally had a chance to buy a house. He's been kind of renting a house here. And he bought a house last week in Encino. And I I looked up the listing online and uh, and found his house and got to flip through some of the pictures of his house. Uh, Check out this picture of his backyard. I don't know if you can see that over there. Hopefully online you can. But uh, this is his pool. And if you notice, in his pool, there's two areas there, like where you can step here and go in. In the middle of the pool, y'all, there's a fire pit, sitting area with a fire pit, and the other area is a jacuzzi. In the middle of his pool, right? And so you, you see that, and you, you go thinking, my pool doesn't have a jacuzzi in the middle of it. I must be poor, right? You compare things. That's so awesome. Look at that. I mean... Must be nice. I saw this, perhaps most curiously, in a documentary with uh, Jay-Z, you know, the great American missionary. Uh, and Jay-Z and his wife went to Africa to work on, like, a, 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 it was a really good trip, actually, to work on clean waters for African tribes. And this documentary followed him along, and he, uh, you know, drove, he drove in his white limo and got out with his white suit <laughs> into this dirt area, and he was talking around, and uh, he realized that but the people of these villagers they they were living in huts that they they built themselves with brick and tarps going over and uh, it was their goal right it was it was the village's goal to have one water source where they could they could turn a handle and clean water would come out we call it a faucet right that was the goal of the village because the 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 the, the girls in that age 10 12 or whatever they would put jugs on their head walk out to the outer city limits and, and fill them and come back in. like That was their chores for the day. That's how they got the clean water. And so what he him and his wife were doing there, Jay-Z, was um, working in this village to help uh, in this uh, area. And afterwards, he, he was just moved by it. And he said this, and it's kind of a, a, a cool thing. He said, you know, I've always rapped about how hard we had it in the hood. And then he said, but I didn't know what I was talking about. These people truly have it all. So rich is a perspective thing, right? We all think that the other person is rich. The person sitting to your right or left, unless they're your spouse, they're rich, not you. But in this passage, we are all rich. And what he says is, it says, for those of you who are rich, for all of you, God has not entrusted you wealth to increase your standard of living, but to increase your standard of giving. Again, most of you don't believe this, but you only think God blesses me with more income so that I could live at a higher standard of living. He says to be rich in good deeds and generosity, but God entrusts you with more wealth so that you can be more generous, not to increase your standard of living, but to increase your standard of giving. That's the additional burden that you bear when being rich. Now I'm going to come back to this idea, because this is a big one, this idea of stewardship being an indicator of your, 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 um, your spiritual life. Uh, but I want to make this, this next point. We believe that Christians are called to give Cheerfully, regularly, and sacrificially. So you might be listening and you think, "All oh, that's great and good, Tim. Just, just give me the invoice. What do I owe the church? Is it ten percent? What do I owe?" And this is the answer. We believe that Christians are called to give cheerfully, regularly, and sacrificially. See, in the old in the Old Testament, they talked in this terms of a tithe, right? A, a, Give the first fruits was a tenth of your income, and that was your income. Uh, that was uh, your what you gave to the church. But in the New Testament, it doesn't speak about tithing like that. Oftentimes, in the New in the New Testament, when it talks about tithing, it does so negatively. It's about the, the Pharisees who gave their money um, out of obligation, not out of out of a cheerful heart. They were doing it it out of a religious devotion, kind of checking off their obligatory financial necessities. The New Testament speaks of giving most clearly in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. If you want a little light reading this afternoon, just read both those chapters. To talk about a church in Macedonia who really was doing things the right way. And I want to read out of 2 Corinthians 8, 14 about this church. It says, Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian church. in the midst of a very seer, In the midst of a very severe trial, They were going on through a lot there. Their overwhelming joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. You can see that Paul is saying that that giving was marked by three things. Giving was marked by being cheerful, by being regular, and by being sacrificial. Cheerful meaning that they, they gave to God first, that they loved God the most, and sacrificial meaning that they felt that it. It hurt when they gave something because they needed all they possibly could, but they felt the obligation to manage their, their, uh, their wealth well, and they gave back to God. And then regularly, it wasn't just periodically here or there, it was a regular thing that they were giving back to God, giving back to the church in the, those times. You know, really, doesn't mean that, you know, well, we talked about it at church today, I better, you know, throw some money in the offering plate, and then uh, next week I'm going to tap out, because I won't feel it as much. See, here in the counter, we don't, we don't necessarily teach a tithe. Like if you're sitting there thinking, how do I steward well?" It's not necessarily a tithe. What we teach is the same thing that Paul spoke about here with his church in Macedonia. We teach that uh, it, a good giver is to do it generously, sacrificially, and regularly. And to determine that, you need to sit down and have a conversation with Jesus. You don't need to get an invoice from the church. You don't need to sit with the pastors and have them tell you, this is a conversation between you and Jesus. It's, a, it's being in a right relationship with Christ, praying about it and say, how can I be the best steward of your money? And so we don't set that amount. And it's less about the percentage and it's more about the love of God. It's a worship issue. And as we talked about worship last week, right? remember Pastor Mike talked about what's the object of your heart? Isn't it amazing how things always tie together around here? Right? Worship was talked about last week. What is your worship? Stewardship is a great indicator of what you worship. Right? You hear that point? Stewardship is just a really good indicator of what you worship. And the reason that people love wealth is it gives them a sense of security. If I have money in the bank, we'll be okay. I can sleep well. We'll be fine. When ta- hard times come, we'll make it. We don't need Jesus. We have savings or a credit score or a credit card or a line of credit or equity in the house. Those things will save us. If you're thinking right now, you know, the economy is going to shut down again soon. I may be laid off. What is something that, that helps when you're thinking about that? Is it the fact that, that your, your credit card has a lot of limit on it? Is it the, does, do you take great comfort and security in knowing that your savings account uh, is, is built up and so that will save you? Or do you take great comfort and security knowing that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and that you can stand firm in your faith in times of trial and tribulation? None of us which is none of all of that is bad, but all of it is bad if it's in the position of glory and worship. You should have savings. We teach financial peace here. The college kids are going through it. Uh, In baby step number three is you build up three to six months of living expenses. That's a wise thing to do. You are stewarding your personal finances wisely if you plan for a rainy day, because things will happen. You want to do all that kind of stuff, but your comfort and security should come from your relationship in Christ, not because of the money that you have in the bank. And I want you to check this point out. It means so much to me that I put it in big, bold letters and it's going to be on the TV. Here's this. Hear this. When you desire for comfort and security outweighs your desire and dependence on Jesus, You've decided, you have decided to worship money over Jesus. Take that in a minute. If you hear nothing else I have said so far and nothing else after this, at least take this in right now and hear this. Because this is at the heart of stewardship. When your desire for comfort and security outweighs your desire and dependence on Jesus, there's issue there. And so think right now, what gives you the greatest comfort and security in your life? You don't have to answer out loud because it may not be a good answer. What, What is it that gives you the greatest comfort and security in your life? You know, several years ago, um, God worked in this area of my life. I told you that, I, uh, that uh, this means something for me this week, um, and here's where it at. I came to the realization that even though I'm a committed church person, I've done youth ministries for 16, uh, 17, 18 years, I've been in leadership here, uh, I'm a faithful attender, I serve, I give, I do all of that kind of stuff. I'd come to the realization that I had one thing that I worshipped more than I did God one thing, and that was my comfort and security. Right? I like to be comfortable. I like to have savings in the account. I valued my job over Jesus because my job, every other week, gave me a nice little paper that that had money on it that I went and deposited. And that gave me comfort and security because I knew that I could then buy groceries or I could pay the mortgage and I could do these things that I needed to do. And so I idolized that over Jesus. Now, is it wrong as a Christian to have a job? No, it wasn't wrong. It would be, it would be uh, irresponsible of me as a father and as a husband to not have a job for, to provide for my family, right? But when I, at the end of the day, think, oh, I can breathe easy because I know I have a job. And when that gives me greater satisfaction and greater comfort than my relationship with Christ, that's where there's some issues. And I had a worship issue. I had an idolatry issue. And so in my devotion times and in my uh, times of studying, I was working through that with God, and he put on my uh, my heart uh, this song, More Like Jesus. You guys know we've sung it here many times. We're actually going to close with that later today. We didn't plan this, I swear to you. We didn't plan this, me and Glenn. Uh, We're going to sing that. But that was my prayer, and as I was praying to God this, Lord, I I genuinely want to become more like Jesus. The song says, uh, If more of you means less of me, take everything. Yes, all of you is all I need, so take everything. And as I studied through that and prayed through that and said, Lord, I want you uh, to make this true of my life. I want more of Jesus. It struck me that said, I don't think I'll ever be able to have more of Jesus. He will never be the, the sole object of my worship until I deal with this issue of my comfort and security. And not that he needed permission, but I prayed at that time, Lord, if it means to take away the thing that gives me the greatest source of comfort and security then do that it wasn't a week later that i got fired from my, or laid off from my job <laughs> so be careful what you pray for is the first thing that you should you should know but i do think as i sat in, in uh, my boss's office and he told me i was being laid off of a job of you know 8 plus years i almost laughed i thought oh my gosh god is that work right here as you're telling me i'm done it was a nice perspective to have. Um, but God worked through that, and, and, you know, He took me through a journey. But uh, I realized in my life that my greatest comfort, my greatest security, did not come from Jesus, it came from other sources. Where is your greatest comfort and security? Is it in God? Is that at the very top of your list? Do you idolize God more than anything else in your life? Or do you idolize your relationships, your possessions, your bank account, your 401k? Matthew six twenty four says this. No one, no one, no matter how good you are at multitasking, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And one way you can prove what I just said is by the evidence of your stewardship. Do you give cheerfully, sacrificially, and regularly, or do you just tip Jesus periodically? Do you say, hey, I had a pretty good week. I met my bills. Let me throw 20 bucks in the offering plate, or now the offering box. Right? Do you have a, is your stewardship life more of a a tipping life where you give Jesus a little bit just to say thank you? Well, folks, that's you. Jesus ain't your waitress. Don't treat them as such. Come in today, I'm sure many of you said, well, stewardship just means give the church 10% and I'm good. But if you still believe that after hearing what I've said, then I failed to communicate true biblical stewardship to you. Because, folks, if you take 10% and give it to the church today, and then tomorrow you go spend it on hookers and booze or whatever else, you have missed the point of stewardship. It doesn't matter how much you give, stewardship is a heart issue more than it is the actual giving issue. I'm going to close by, by giving you six just quick principles of sacrificial stewardship. Number one is that more stuff won't make you happy. Anybody agree with that? Those are wise people who have been around. More stuff won't make you happy. Number two, Jesus is a generous giver. And if you want to become more like Jesus, you ought to be a generous giver. Number three is more blessed to give than to receive. I know you hear that around Christmas time, but it is so very true. It, you will be blessed more in your life when you give than blessed when you receive something. Number four, giving is something that's a spiritual gift that we can grow into. Let me say this. If you are a relatively new believer, this is a tough thing for you to hear, stewardship and giving and that sort of thing. It's one of the very last spiritual disciplines that you grow into. And that's why we push the 201 class. If you make a decision to be a believer in Christ and you give your you, you put your faith into him that's great now you got to learn to live like a Christian and one of the first acts of spiritual acts that you you learn is to pray right you get praying down or, or you start reading in, in uh, de- into devotions there's different spiritual uh, um, different uh, spiritual things that, that, that the gifts that we should grow into and the 201 class is that class that teaches you principles that you can apply to your life so spirit the, the fifth fourth point here is that that um, uh, giving is something of a spiritual gift that we grow into. Number five, when we give, we're storing up treasures in heaven. We read that verse a little bit earlier, where he says, "Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy." And the last thing is this, and it kind of sums everything up: is our life follows our wealth. Matthew 6:21 says, "For your treasure is where your for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." the thing that you value the most, that's where your heart will go also. So, I want to ask you a question in closing. How do your money habits reveal what you believe about God? How do your money habits reveal what you believe about God? And I close by this, this phrase from Max Lucado, awesome author and pastor. And I want you to take comfort in this today. You are not what you have, but you are who has you. You are who has you. Will you close in prayer with me? Father God, I thank you for uh, this, um, the scriptures that you give and reveal to us in today. Father, I pray that uh, every one of us can hear this message of stewardship and how uh, it it has more about uh, uh, putting you as first in our life, Lord, where we, we value you, we idolize you more than anything else in our life, and then our life reflects that. Including our money, Father, as we're coming up to you, a week of Thanksgiving, I just want to thank you for each and everything that you have given to me and to all of us here. Though so I, I I know that we don't any of us here doesn't sit here saying that we are wealthy and rich, but Lord, you have richly blessed each and every one of us with with homes and with food and with clothing and and uh, with jobs and and things of that nature. Lord, we lack in some areas, but Lord, you have richly Bless us, and we thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, today that we could hear the message of uh, of stewardship, Lord, how we are uh, managers of the wealth that you give us. Lord, work in us and through us in this way, Lord. You are a good, good Father. We love you. We pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. For more information, go to www.encounterccb.org.